Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Adam McKay, and you are listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. Pantheon Podcasts presents from Toronto, Canada. Muses with your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Part of the Pantheon Network of Podcasts. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. So grab those backstage passes and let's get to the show. How's it going? Great, how are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, you got... A beautiful, lovely new haircut and I'm, color. I was hoping you would mention something about <laughs> it. Yeah, I'm feeling great. It's a uh, new summer dew. Yeah, it suits you. And it looks perfect for the summer. Nice and free and flowing and off your shoulders. Yeah, I got a real cut and then I went super blonde. I don't think I've ever been this color of blonde before. It's like an really? icy blonde, right? Yeah, it's really nice. It yeah. suits you as well. Yeah, so I'm loving it. Good. Thank you. Maybe yeah. I'll post it. I'll post a photo. Yeah, for sure. I tried to get TJ to post to take a picture of me because I don't love selfies. So I try. I asked him to take a photo of me so I could send it to my brother. And he kind of was like spinning me around to try and get me in this light. And then he took this photo and just because he's so tall and the angle that he took it. It was the worst photo I've <laughs> ever seen of myself. Um, the, the the light that he put me in showed every single flaw. I just went, TJ, this <laughs> is the worst photo I've ever seen of myself. And you just spun me around for two minutes trying to put me in the perfect light. And he just kind of put his head down and was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's like my dad, too. Anytime I try to get him, he's not used to holding. He doesn't have a cell phone, so he's not used to holding them. So they just come out super blurry because <laughs> I guess he's just moving his hand. And like like TJ, he's always like, OK, like turn around a little, do that. Like he's, he talks about it so much. And he like makes me do all this stuff and then I look at them and it's just like blur just nothing but blurs yeah thanks but no thanks yeah appreciate the effort but uh I just will take that selfie I guess yeah I guess so sometimes you just have to guys sometimes we just have to take the selfie we try and you know so for listeners who are wondering where we were last week we actually posted our first video um which was made for our patreon 
Um, but we posted it on YouTube so that everyone could get a taste of, you know, the kind of things to expect on our Patreon. Yeah, we had a really fun time doing our first video and we played around with lighting and we got it was a definitely a learning process because we got the sound synced up to it so it's a little bit of a step up from anything that we've posted in terms of video before yeah and then yeah we just wanted everybody to see it so that if you're interested in subscribing to the patreon and paying a little bit every week you could get an idea of what things to expect which is both audio and video. So if you want to go to patreon.com slash muses podcast, you can sign up for everything there and then you'll have access to, I think we've got five episodes up so far mm-hmm. and you can also head over to YouTube and type in muses Patreon just in the search bar and you'll yeah. find it there. Or if you just type in Shanti and links, we pop up there as well. Yeah, we can. And then we'll have it in the show notes. So if you haven't already gone to our video on YouTube, it's a great opportunity to see what we look like and yeah. and we talk about our favorite concert experiences so yeah. yeah that was a fun that was fun discussing that with you yep and yeah you can kevin kind of have an idea what the chemistry is like it's electric totally between the two of us so let's get in it this week what are you presenting for us, Shanti? all right well i'm really channeling her with my new blonde 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 do we are doing Brigitte Bardot. Yes. Yes. I read um, Brigitte Bardot, a biography by Barnett Singer. Um, Her own biography, Initials BB, came out in 96. And Singer calls her autobiography a combination between high intelligence and a healthy sense of erotic. But it was 1,300 pages long. That's crazy. So he wanted to offer a crisper treatment. Also, An edited one. Edited, yeah. Yes. So just edited <laughs> and just the essentials of what you really need. He also says Bardot memoirs are in French. As noted, rich, slangy, savorously untranslatable French. And a challenge to Francophiles fluent who feel that they are fluent in the language. Mm-hmm. So somebody like me, who uh, is bilingual, would most likely have a difficult time understanding that autobiography. Because, yeah, I mean, the dialects and slang anywhere, even within Canada, it, Canada French is very different. Well, thank goodness he made this a lot easier to absorb yeah and you've you're doing the same here yeah i'm doing an edit of an edit of a yeah we're gonna break it down into little bite size just a real tasty morsel for everybody um he wrote the book because he wanted to inspire people since uh brigitte's work has been so important to her um, he said, you know, she didn't just retire and hang out on the Riviera all day. He wants to clear up some mis- misconceptions that she was only a dumb beauty, a shameless and mean-spirited right-winger, to which he claims is false. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into some of Bridget- Brigitte's uh, problematic things towards the end, um, as it happens towards later on in her life. But let's start from the beginning. Yes. Um, Brigitte Bardot was born in France on September 28th, 1934, and she grew up a stone's throw away from the Eiffel Tower. 
At this time, if you wanted to live well and you only had a little bit of money, Paris was the place to do it. Enjoyment reigned and it was the most romantic city on earth. Her family was part of the Catholic upper bourgeois of uh, the era. Her mother was named Anne-Marie Bardot and her father Louis or Pilou. And there's going to be a lot of great nicknames. I'm excited. A lot of great nicknames. So he was a strict money respecting by the book type. He had graduated from engineering school and gone into the family business and was 38 years old when he met Anne-Marie, 16 years. He was 16 years her senior. Wow. He was strict, but he always liked making wine, telling jokes and writing in his journal. Brigitte's mother studied theater and dance and Pilou wrote poetry in his notebook. Pilou was wounded in World War One because that was the time. Yeah. And Brigitte was very close to her Italian nanny as her mother was standoffish and had wished for a boy. Hmm. Why is that? Because they're bougie. Yeah. Right? They probably wanted that that air. For sure. It's crazy when that that's still a thing, you know? In certain places mm-hmm. they prefer the boy. Mm-hmm. Um it was a rather simple childhood for Bibi, and uh, she had she grew up with family cats. Speaking of which, look at this floof beside me. He always wants to join in when we record. Oh, he's never not here. And right now, he is on his back looking at me, so I'm going to give him a scritch with one hand, but focus, focus. All right. Bridget's mother became pregnant just before the war and they wanted another boy because you know, or they wanted a boy, but alas, they had another girl, Marie-Jeanne, and they nicknamed her Mijanjou. Oh, Mijanjou. Um, what was your nickname growing up? Um, I always thought it was funny because, you know, people who have like one syllable name, it's kind of short and easy, but my nicknames were always longer. Mm. Um, I think Lynxy is probably the one that overrides any other I used to get. I used to get Ladybug sometimes because I used to have these big, like, Sally, Jesse, Raphael uh, red glasses that I wore for a couple of years when I was young. Um, I love that picture of you. Yeah. I think you should post it. All right. I'll, I will. And um, then when I was older, of course, I got Lolita or Lynxolita. Do you care to explain that or should that be saved for a Patreon? Well, I just hung out with people who are a lot older than me. It's not as uh, deep as, like, the book or uh, I wasn't doing... I mean, I was doing crazy stuff, but not like that. (laughs) Um, Gotcha. Yeah, it was more just being the baby in the group, you know. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I had... um, My dad called me Telly. Telly. And when I was probably, like, two years old, you know, or maybe a bit younger, maybe one years old, you're walking, but you have all that baby fat. And I love to run around naked, and they called me Rump Roast. That is the best. Yeah. Rump Roast. Oh, yeah, because I was (laughs) thick. (laughs) You know, I still got it. Yeah, you do. I was born with it. (laughs) Other notable names are her grandparents, Mimi. Mami Boussel, Bon Papa, or Boom Papa, or just Boom, and then Aunt or Tante, Tom Pompon, and her son Jean, which was her cousin who she loved. So many good names. Yeah. 
From an early age, Brigitte had a full and giving heart. She would pray, which translates into loosely, Little Jesus, protect all those I love, except Pierrette and the seamstress. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Um, Brigitte would learn about the war. Her mother explaining it like, when a girlfriend takes your toys and you have to fight to get them back. Yeah. Um, the book gives a pretty good sum up of Paris at the beginning of the war. And if that interests you, then read the book. But of course, we can't just get into like how the war affected the city, which that affected the family. It's just it's it's a bit much. Yeah. Um, she just remembers that she had a disruptive move out of Paris. Okay. However, she was able to spend a lot of time with her mom once they moved, and her mom taught her how to read from Babar books, but she was so sensitive that the Babar books made her cry. I actually have a Babar perfume from the 80s that I was given as a little girl, and I still have not just the bottle, but it's like mostly full. And it it's one of those things that like every time you smell it like, it brings me back and ba-ba. totally I used to have a little perfume as well when I was doing gymnastics and I remember my pink bedroom I can I can remember exactly the smell and yeah. the music that I was listening to at the time which um was Michael Jackson I've I, never listened to Michael Jackson since then but that one period of my life I had one album and I listened to it I also had um a 90210 perfume that I loved what? They they slapped that name on everything. Yeah. Pajamas. Uh, I had agendas, sweaters, just everything Nanotono I could get my hands on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Brigitte was curious and intelligent. She started school, and around the time that she started school, she had to spend 40 days in bed with the measles. Mm. Yeah. So she stayed at home often and danced to Pilou's phonograph, which her mother recognized could be ballet. So her mother would make Brigitte walk around with a pot of water on her head, which later translated into her signature signature regal posture and walk that was recognized. Always. Always. Yeah. She was enrolled in dance school. Um, something that when I, like a, a little bit younger, I was always confused, like, mom, why didn't you put me in dance? And she was like, cause I didn't want you to have an eating disorder or become a stripper. That was what my mom had said. And I was like, I guess one of those kinds of kind of makes sense, but I probably just would have quit it. Like I quit everything yeah. else. I started ringette. I quit. I started gymnastics. I quit hockey, quit piano, quit. I quit everything. Well, you tried. Mm. A little bit of everything sounds good, too, though. Jack of all trades, master of none. (laughs) (laughs) So um, they moved again to the country and Brigitte would feed rabbits from a bottle. And she didn't seem to notice when the family consumed the rabbits for dinner until her favorite rabbit, (sighs) Noirot, was gone. She had a best friend named Chantal. Yay. Chantal. Um, who had lost her father in the war, and so Bridget offered half of her father to her. Oh, that's sweet. She went to a fancy private school. Her only real friend was Chantal, since her mom rejected so many possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Bridget's childhood, while it was simple, it was somewhat lonely. 
The author says that Anne-Marie repressed herself and so, and thus, her children. Yeah. Um, Brigitte would begin to get allergic rashes due to the maniacal standards her mother imposed on her. She really loved visiting Mami and Boom because they were more chill. And it kind of seems like Brigitte's mother turned into a dragon lady because when uh, Brigitte was seven, she'd knocked over a vase and her mother threatened to throw her out into the streets and then began making Brigitte call her the formal vous and not address her in the formal tu, which is, I mean, yeah, bonks. Yeah. That's <laughs> bonks. Yep. Um, Brigitte remembers another traumatic incident one day after dance seemingly out of nowhere for no reason her father announced that there was no such thing as Santa Claus and that they had been buying her the gifts all along that's a hard blow cool thanks yeah Um, she didn't like her birthday since it was in September and that's when school started so as gifts she would receive school supplies it must suck having your birthday, you know, right before Christmas or right after Christmas or right before school or on some other big holiday where everyone's, you know, having special moments kind of puts your moment in the shadow a little bit. I know. I'm lucky. I'm fortunate. My birthday is exactly one month since Christmas, uh, after Christmas. So we've got enough. There's a perfect amount of time there. Yeah. And people are sick of, um, you know, the holidays and everybody's New Year's resolutions have been broken. So it's a yeah. perfect time to party. It is. And celebrate. Mwah! As Miss Piggy would say. <laughs> so um, her sister was the model child, thus the favorite child. And Brigitte was punished for poor marks and began to believe she was ugly, not as pretty as her sister, and possibly adopted because she felt so outside of her own family. That is nuts. Yeah. Absolutely. How a sex symbol, the uh, European Marilyn Monroe um, once thought that she was. It's crazy what we do to ourselves or the way that we can look at ourselves where everyone else does not see what you see, you know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Brigitte saw that her best friend Chantal was loved and showered with affection by Chantal's mother. And this made Bridget cry at night and possibly contributed to her maternal affection and animal protectress persona. Mm -hmm. Her parents fought often and had separate bedrooms. Her first crush was a blonde 17-year-old athlete named Bernard. Her first kiss was at the age of 12 when she and Chantal took turns with a boy named Guy. Guy. I mean, that's how the French do it, right? Might as well just both get your first kisses in. A little little three-way action. It becomes like a special friendship moment, too. (laughs) Guy was probably in hog heaven. Oh, God, yeah. When she turned 13, she made it into the prestigious Conservatoire National de Danse, and Boom Papa would do her Latin homework for her um, until they were kind of caught for it. And her mother would just continue to be her worst critic, both academically as well as in the field of dance. Compared to other teens, she felt ugly and different. And uh, she would continue to make connections to animals and feel kind of safe with them. Yeah. 
Um, there was one time her grandfather nearly killed a mouse in the kitchen and she scooped it up and kept it in her sleeve until it was nursed back to health and then she released it back into the forest. Wow. In 1946, at the end of the war, France had come into an era called Nouveau Mania and her mother began sewing hats to make extra money and started her own hat boutique. Mm. To show one man's collection, Brigitte's mother had the idea to have Bridget dance a classical theme while each apparel was presented. This is when the thin teenager got noticed by clients as well as an editor of the magazine Jardin de Mud, for which she did a spread. Hmm. Word spread to Elle, which sought Brigitte for an appearance in their pages, and her mother wasn't thrilled about it, but they came to a compromise. Since this was potentially scandalous, Brigitte could pose as long as she didn't use her full name, and so she used her initials that would later become world famous. Yeah, BB. That's right. Amazing. Her cover photo appeared May 2nd, 1949, and reached a lot of people. A man who would have much influence over her life and career took notice, Roger Vadim. Hmm. He also has a book. Yes. Which um, you lent to me, and it's just his book about dating the most beautiful woman in the world. He truly did. I mean, this man must have had some personality, because how do you get Brigitte? Yep. Catherine Deneuve mm-hmm. and Jane Fonda. Mm-hmm. Like, what luckiest man alive? <laughs> Lively offers bras and undies that blur the aesthetic lines of lingerie, active, and swim, taking the best elements of high style and functionality from each category. Lively is where high style meets ultimate comfort. Soft fabrics, lounge-worthy fits and clever details that support your life. Wear it all day because it's the most comfortable bra you'll ever wear. True that. Lively offers a range of bra styles for all different body types. Available in 32A to 44 triple D. Choose from bralettes, t-shirt bras, push-up bras, plunge bras, and no-wire bras. Find your new go-to pieces. Lively continues to push the boundaries while innovatively thinking of new ways to provide more options for women of all sizes and shapes. I don't always wear bras, but when I do, it's definitely Lively. And I got the no wire push-up bra, which I love because it's so comfortable, but it does give me that added little oomph Mm -hmm. that I don't get when I'm not wearing a bra or when I wear any other bras. So I love the no wire push-up. Yeah, and I love my mesh trim no wire. I wear it constantly. Like you said, it's just so incredibly comfortable. And I'm amazed at my size. I usually can't wear no wire. And this supports me so well all day. I'm not readjusting. It's it's amazing. And it's sexy. It is. So how awesome is this? At Lively, it's always one price for all. Any style, color, or size. At Lively, they believe in charging one price for all. Yeah, find the perfect fit using the fit guide that features lively customers and a step-by-step process for any bra type that finds the fit that's perfect for you. We loved how super easy this was and doing it from the comfort of our own home was amazing. For You can refer a friend and for every friend that signs up for Lively and makes a purchase, you receive 100 points and that's $10. Amazing. Free and easy returns using the prepaid shipping label included in every package. For a limited time, get $10 off your first order by visiting wherelively.com slash muses and enter promo code muses at checkout. 
Yes, that's wearelively.com. W-E-A-R-L-I-V-E-L-Y.com slash muses and use promo code muses at checkout. Only available in the U.S. Wow. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about him. He was the kind of guy who rubbed shoulders with artists, philosophers, writers, musicians. At the time, he was the assistant to the French film director Marc Allegret, and he showed Allegret the photo. He was impressed and agreed to do a screen test with Brigitte, and they somehow attained, obtained her home address and sent her a letter. Hmm. Predictably, Tori and Pilou, who are... Bridget's parents put their bougie feet down and said that no daughter of theirs would enter into the cinematic demi monde. <laughs> so wow. it was Grandma, Mammy, and Grandpa Boom who came to Bibi's defenses and supported her fully. Boom smashed his fist down to signal that whether or not she turned into a whore would come regardless of being in the movies or not. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. <laughs> she met Allegri and out of stress broke into an allergic reaction during her screen test. Which like I can relate to, girl. That is how yeah. I deal with stress. I have been drinking my chaga tea, my bone broth. Trying to relax. Trying to relax. Because like I get it. Yeah. Instead of lashing out in certain ways, your body just just shows it through skin reactions. So needless to say, she didn't get the movie, but she had Vadim's attention. Mm -hmm. It was the beginning of something big. And at the age of 15, she considered marriage to Vadim. That's, that's crazy. She fell in love. Her parents regarded Vadim as unkempt. And he's described as uh, by them as minor league bohemian. Her mother checked her silverware after he left their home for the first time. Wow. Yeah. I don't think he was interested in the silverware. <laughs> <laughs> they say in the book that he's older, but I'm not sure if they mentioned exactly how much older, but I think that also played a factor yeah, in her parents Yeah, I think he was like probably in his late 30s, early 40s. That old? I think oh, so. Oh, shit. Or maybe, maybe, yeah, because I feel like when he was with Jane Fonda in the 60s, he was like double her age. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody would want to go ahead and fact check that and get back to us. Um... Anywho, Bardot skipped school to rendezvous with Vadim. She was caught and threatened with boarding school in England. She didn't stop seeing him until she was of age, but she still looked for opportunities to meet with him in secret. Of course. One night, her parents set her up with a well-to-do boy, a preppy type, and after her boring date with him, she returned 10 minutes past curfew. Her dad flew into a rage, lifted up her skirt, and spanked her in front of her date. Wow. Okay, this is humiliating and gross on so many levels, not to mention that it was the first time that she was wearing adult stockings in a garter. Oh, man. I just looked up his age. He mm-hmm. was born in 1928. She was 34? 1934, I said? Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, her parents were 16 years difference as well. It was Paris. It was the 40s and yep. 50s. They didn't know any... No, yeah. I'm not making any excuses. It is what it is. Those are just the facts. Exactly. It is what They're it the is. facts. Um, yeah. So Brigitte remained at war with her parents and continued to sneak out to meet Vadim. Um, she was sent on a dance crew, uh, cruise and found a mentor and role model in the soon-to-be-famous Capuchin. Yep. Aw. 
Yeah. Once she was back, Vadim continued to give her a worldly education, introducing <laughs> her to the cultural figures of the day, like playwrights and Marlon Brando, who was staying at Vadim's apartment for a while. Oh, he looked good back then. Oh, oh God. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Brigitte got her first part in a movie called Le Trou Normand, Crazy in Love, in 1952. And... Brigitte became pregnant at this time. Wow. She was labeled with the doctor with viral jaundice, which was not true, ordered to rest, and she asked if she could rest in the French Alps with Vadim, and they went directly to Switzerland for an abortion. Yeah. So her parents remained unaware of this. Um, One night when Brigitte was late for her 12 a.m. curfew with Vadim, her parents pulled a gun on him, essentially telling him to keep his hands off her or else. Wow. Keep keep your hands off our virgin daughter. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> While Vadim was working in the south of France, Brigitte's first attempt of a series of many suicides came. Wow. One night when she opted to stay home instead of going out with her parents, she was found just in the nick of time upon them returning with her head in the oven and the gas on. Oh, thank goodness they came home. Yeah. So, like, I wasn't aware that she had so many suicide attempts over the years. Yeah, I, I had no idea either. Her parents were so shocked, and so they allowed her to spend time with Vadim... And allowed their marriage, but only when she turned 18. So Vadim continued to promote her, showing her picture around, getting her in magazines, and enrolled her in acting lessons. She became somewhat more well-known and did another movie, uh, Manina la fille sans voile, The Girl in the Bikini. Mm -hmm. And the bikini shots of her in that movie angered her father. Eh. To nobody's surprise. What else is new? Yeah. Several months after her 18th birthday and her and Vadim were married on December 21st, she learned how to cook. She got a cocker spaniel named him Cloon. Within mm. the year, the marriage became tempestuous. Yep. He was working a lot. She was worried about him being faithful. She would stay home with the dog. They argued over money. Vadim was a good time Charlie, careless with cash. She was better at financial planning. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jane Fonda mentions that in her book as well. That was uh, an issue for them. And fidelity. Both. (laughs) Yeah. He wasn't meant for marriage. Right. She wanted her love to be first, and it wasn't. And thus, the signature pout may have made its first appearances. (laughs) Her two previous films had largely indifferent reviews, so she procured another agent and got better roles from then on and stayed with this manager until the end of her career. Wow. She did an American film, Act of Love, a small role. She was a servant, but attended the Cannes Film Festival in 1953. Oh, yeah. hmm I know she, those photos. She went to a party on a U.S. Navy aircraft carrier with U.S. soldiers. Vadim dressed her in a raincoat, but once she took that off, it revealed a teenager in a tight dress, dress, and the flash of bulbs of the paparazzi began. The soldiers went nuts, and in the words of the author, she had gotten launched. Oh, yeah. She looked good. <laughs> her and Vadim were a hot couple, heavy hitters in French society. She made more movies. And a second unwanted pregnancy and illegal abortion occurred. Mm-hmm. She did some movies in Britain, and this blossoming French beauty was becoming the sex kitten from the frivolous country across the channel. Mm-hmm. But women in Britain were modeling themselves after her, so she was very much amused to men and women alike. And Vadim encouraged all of this, of course. 
She was near her breakthrough point in 1956 because then came the movie And God Created Woman. Oh, yeah. Right? She developed feelings for her co-star. The movie came out to in different reviews, but it was more popular in Britain and then even more popular in America. Yeah, people weren't watching that for the storyline. Hell no. And then there was a poster of the partially unclad Bardot in Times Square. Wow. So profits for the movie skyrocketed. She's blonde by this point. Of course. Which. She's. That made a difference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That did something. Oh, yeah. Um, She was huge in the American press and in Life magazine in 1957 reflected the sense that Europe was ahead of the game both erotically and mentally and that Brigitte mirrored both trends. Hmm. She was a symbol of the eternal woman rebelling. She had a tendency to remove her clothes and show off a lot more than American audiences were used to seeing. Time magazine also noted, and I quote, She's a fetching little hussy, and the language she speaks can be understood without subtitles. That's a good quote. Good one, Time magazine. Not very woke, but okay. The second part of that's good. (laughs) Being able to speak without speaking. Just that makes sense. Yeah, if anybody ever asked me, so what's Lynx like? Well, she was a fetching little hussy. <laughs> they also commented on her childlike face and said that she had a naivete about it. But right, like the childlike face, the woman's body. I don't know if say anything about that, but... Yeah, there's Anyways, something there. <laughs> ab- about her being like a child, they also said that she threw tantrums like a child. Hmm. Which I don't know if that's true. Like, you know what they're... That's what they say. That's what they say. Um, After this success in America, there was a second release in France, and it went through the roof there, too. So her beauty became a tidal wave around the world, and then she began the coming of age as a celebrity. That must have been intense. Of course. Um, Have you ever heard that thing that's like, at whatever age you become a celebrity, you stay that age forever? Interesting. Mm -hmm. That makes sense for a lot of... uh people i'm thinking of right now (laughs) yeah love was um maybe more important to her than celebrity and she continued her affair with uh who was her co-star moving him into an apartment cooking reciting poetry and i quote the author when i say bardot was a woman who would always inspire the artist and men they had no tv no radio no newspapers and a nice skewed sense of time vividly lived uncounted via the clock. Hmm. She was getting busier and busier, fulfilling contracts, interviews to do, scripts to read, functions to attend, over and over. And she was definitely compared to Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. She did meet her by chance once in a lady's washroom, and she recalls Monroe smelling like Chanel, and that she had had a natural, fragile quality about her, and they were only there for but a minute. It's too bad they couldn't have, you know, had an actual connection, just a bathroom pass by. Yeah. Uh, Her and Vadim divorced in December of 1957 of mutual consent. Vadim would say that that was his last real heartache, even though he would go on to have relationships with Deneuve and Fonda, like we said. Mm. Um, He became a confidant of Bardot later and someone she could trust. And the author says that is until he published his memoirs in the 1980s. 
Brigitte's roles often encompassed the femme fatale, the saucy strumpet with the heart of gold, and she was an international sex symbol. Oh, yeah, she was. Mm-hmm. So she'd had that breakthrough year, you know, 1957, and the press was really tampering with her life. Journalists and photographers followed her. She was so stressed. She would get cold sores, which probably didn't help any of the situation. Um, she shot a comedy called One Parisienne, and she was proud of it in a film she still fully endorses to this day. Mm. Her cousin Jean now a doctor, had been killed that summer in a suspect auto wreck and she would be affected by the sad thing that happened and as it turned out to be a suicide and as we know, she dealt oh. with depression herself. So yeah. there was a lot of depression and suicidal tendencies in her family. Wow. She found herself lonely on movie sets. She took to drinking sangria, dancing barefoot to flamenco and picking up the guitar and learning a few chords herself. Well, at least she was looking for outlets, you know, healthier ones. Yeah. Well, I mean, sangria can be healthy, right? There's fruit <laughs> sure, in there. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> she also saved and adopted a little dog. Aww. As you read through the biography, the author goes through her films, plots, what they meant for her, what kind of roles she played. So if you wanted to have a better idea of um, her life work, her IMDB. Yeah, I'll check go that ahead out. And read that. She had some movies doing well at the box office, and she was becoming hotter and hotter in every way. She was known for having relationships with two men at a time, usually affairs. Go Brigitte. And she adored Tignante, but also wanted her freedom. And why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Imagine being in a really serious relationship, like almost like a marriage since you're 15, yeah. and you're the most beautiful woman yeah. in the world. You want to have some fun. Hell Yeah. When the paparazzi got wind of an affair she was having with a married man who was a singer, it was splashed in all of the headlines. Ugh, paparazzi, man. Ruining Another lives. suicide attempt occurred on her part. <sighs> this time it was pills. She had her stomach pumped. Jeez. Yeah. And you're right. You know, it's something to be said. I know that people can be like, well, you signed up for this. So expect paparazzi. Yeah. Expect no privacy. Expect this. I mean, if you're an artist, you're a musician, you're an actor, you signed up to create art, you know, if you're an Instagram model, you're signing up to for people to look at you like there's a difference. Yeah, exactly. Um, in only six years of shooting movies, she had done 22 films. She worked nonstop. Pretty much. In 1958, she was longing for a relationship, and a handsome young singer-guitarist was her next lover. His name was Sasha Distel. So now, this is a few musicians she's, she's been involved in and with, and we'll eventually get to Serge. Mm -hmm. In an article um, of Life magazine in, of June 30th, they talked about the Bardo boom, where not since the Statue of Liberty has a French girl lit such a fire in America. <laughs> One of her films, And God Created Woman, has played for eight months in one New York theater. Wow, yeah, it was a huge hit. Of course, many women in America were emulating her look and her walk. Yeah, same in uh, England, mm -hmm. as we know. Um, Cynthia Lennon and the Beatles certainly had a thing for Brigitte. and Absolutely. She kind of modeled herself after Brigitte when John wanted to date her mm -hmm. 
She had a part in making French film profits rise. Things would happen. She'd go on vacation. Photographers would dress up in fishing gear just so they could get closer to her. And then they'd insult her and then take pictures of her upset for the tabloids. See, you don't sign up for that. Mm. You go to Cannes Film Festival, you expect paparazzi. That's part of the job. You're on vacation and they're like, you know, hiding themselves under fishing gear and stuff. Like, that's next level. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she was hounded by the paparazzi and she called them the nightmare of the stars. She goes through more relationships, hotties she meets on set. In 1959, Brigitte became pregnant um, with uh, by a man named Jacques Charqui. He was not approving of an abortion. Mm. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the other two musicians she had been dating were writing songs about her that were on the radio. Bardot married the man, Charrier, probably more so because she was pregnant yeah. than anything. Yeah. And on June 18th, 1959, Bardot's only child, her son Nicolas Jacques Charrier, was born on January 11th, 1960. Hmm. After she and Charrier divorced in 1962, Nicolas was raised in the Charrier family and had little contact with his biological mother until his adulthood. Hmm. People even started naming their babies Nicolas, as many Nicolas were christened across France after his birth. That's amazing. Yeah. Charrier was taking a lot of pills at the time to make himself seem unstable to return to the army. And this led to him actually having a mental breakdown and trying to end his own life. Wow. He lived, but, you know, they're kind of comparing and saying that Brigitte's life is more dramatic than a movie. Yeah. Yeah, really. The paparazzi followed her around with a new baby, criticizing her preference to use a bottle rather than breastfeed. But honestly, like, if she breastfed, she'd probably get shit for that, too, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you can't win in that situation. I know. Bardot had a secretary that wrote a tell-all about her at this time, which is, you know, kind of crappy because they see a lot of things, you know? Yeah. So Bridget was just like, F it. She bought a farmhouse outside of Paris. She's like, I can't trust anyone. Mm -hmm. The author writes, all those years, in other words, Bardot, who seemed to have it all, was in a war, or really a series of wars. The paparazzi wars, the director wars, the man wars, all intensified by the flair and distinctive beauty that had first brought her into this trade. And she often attracted men who were themselves grand sensibles, including Charrier, who was ironed to jealousy of her romantic leads. And in fact, it turned out that he did have something real to be jealous about this time around. Mm -hmm. A 23-year-old named Sammy Frey, or Fry, I don't know. Sammy was also called away from military duty just as soon as they started getting together. The paparazzi actually caught Charrier punching Sammy once in a parking lot. And you have to keep in mind, Brigitte is only 25 at this time. Wow. It was around her 26th birthday that she attempted suicide again. Ugh, Brigitte. She was not, or she was working a lot and not really able to be a normal person. So she was staying in a lot. She wouldn't go out with her castmates. Even if she tried to disguise herself, something would give her her, her way, like her signature walk. Mm -hmm. and people would bombard her and it would just be very overwhelming. Wow, that must have been so isolating. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't understand why they'd called her the European Monroe until reading all of this yeah. and the suicide attempts and all that. Yeah. 
So Bardot started empathizing with animals trapped in zoo cages and, you know, like photographers popping out of the water were leading her towards another kind of life. Yeah. She and Chadier divorced in 1962 and he got custody. Mm -hmm. This was the year that she really began to work on the behalf of mistreated animals, starting with the French slaughterhouse industry. In 1964, she caught a she cut a bossa nova record, which was increasingly popular kind of music. She turned 30. Jacques' sister Evelyn took over raising the baby Nicolas, yeah, or the child at this point as well. Um, you know, neither of them could provide a stable or suitable environment to take care of a child. Yeah. Plus, I mean, dare we say, she never wanted a child. In the first yeah. place? I don't know. Is that a... No, I mean, it sounds like that was the best decision for the child. Yeah. Brigitte's film career was gently winding down. She married another sexy beast in 1968, Gunter Sash in Las Vegas. Around her 33rd birthday, Brigitte was finding less and less enthusiasm for acting and was enjoying, enjoying singing much more. Hmm. Enter Serge Gainsbourg. Yeah. Serge phoned her up, said he had some material for her. They got together, drank champagne, made a record. Hmm. They probably did it. Probably. Probably did it. Um, you know that song, Harley Davidson? They did that song together. They had um, some great fun ones. Comic strip. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> um, she went to dinner. Their romantic relationship began. They actually did Je t'aime moi non plus together. They dated all over Paris, and I quote, with her dressing outlandishly. Gunter was mad because they were still together. He made her erase the song Je T'aime. Oh, man. And it's a pretty sexy song. Oh, oh yeah. Je t'aime, je t'aime, moi non plus. I mean, there's like no other word to describe it. It's mm-hmm. just ridiculously sexy. Mm-hmm. It is sex, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and she regretted it because it later became such a hit. Yeah. With somebody else singing it. Yep. Another muse we'll have to cover. For sure. For sure. Yeah. In December of 1968, she announced the end of her marriage with Gunter and rebounded with a 23-year-old hottie. So she's like 33. He's 23. I'm loving it. (laughs) And we'll talk a little bit about her animal activism before we start wrapping up here. Her animal collection, her menagerie, (laughs) included six goats, 10 wild cats, a rabbit... 20 ducks, a donkey named Cornichon. Pickle. Pickle. And some sheep that she saved from a slaughterhouse. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is that is quite an array. Yeah. When she wasn't taking care of animals, she was reading. And she actually still worked with the Deem from time to time. One of the movies was Don Juan, or if Don Juan were a woman. Hmm. And that's the one that Jane Birkin was in, right? Yeah. I actually haven't seen it. We should watch it. We should watch it. Do a little Patreon. Yeah. In June of 1973, she announced her retirement to the press, having made 48 films in 21 years. For her 40th birthday, she posed nude for Playboy. Yes, I looked up the photos. Yes, they are incredible. I bet. 
She worked to fight French modes of slaughter and something called the BB law was passed, which had the government legislating employment of quicker electric shock pistols to kill animals. Hmm. So I think it's kind of like, you know, that's never going to end. So at least do it in a more humane way. Yeah. The BB law. For sure. And she used to wear fur, but she turned, you know, anti-fur and would become known as, uh, yeah, somebody who really advocated for that kind of stuff. Yeah. She adopted even more animals. Um, The protection of animals was becoming her central preoccupation. I remember in high school class, the first time I ever really knew about Brigitte was because she was speaking about um, seal clubbing. Hmm. Yeah. In 1978, she published a children's book called Nuna, Le Petit Foc Blanc, because foc is French for seal. (laughs) In the 80s, she continued fighting for all kinds of animals, including monkeys being used to test in labs, horses being butchered, dogs in animal shelters dying of poor conditions. Hmm. And then she began writing her memoirs. Wow. So, okay. Can you imagine how long it must have taken her to write that? (laughs) For real, though. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Um, She's donated more than $140,000 over, you know, what two years for a mass sterilization adoption program for Bucharest stray dogs? She has La Fondation Brigitte Bardot dedicated to animal protection. Um, her she did continue to have some suicide attempts up until 1983. Well, that's that's good. I mean, and then that she's okay. found a way to deal with those emotions. Obviously, her mother had some mental health issues as well. So, you yes, know. correct. Yeah, correct. She's a breast cancer survivor, and that—that's that's another amazing feat. Yeah, um, like we had mentioned, you know, you had in an Instagram story about whether or not we should tackle this episode as well. You know, Brigitte has been known for. Uh, being charged and she's had to pay money for some of the homophobic and racist things that she said over the years yeah um racist in terms of it does come into play with the animal protection and um she's said some anti-muslim things because of the way that they choose you know to eat meat and do you know like you said it always is in regards to the animals it's unfortunate when someone is so caring and loving and giving in this one aspect, um, but that doesn't translate to like all humans. You exactly. Know? She she puts that love into animals, and they clearly come first above human life for her. I guess. Um, yeah, it's an interesting way to think about it and you guys are totally welcome it's not gonna be hard for you to go search up the articles and form your own opinion but what we'll bring it back to is that one thing that we've really realized over the years with this podcast and holding people on pedestals and really admiring them uh, there's a lot of musicians who we've known about or some that we've come to discover that we've gone like oh okay so they're great in this respect eric clapton lindsey buckingham amazing in this sense john lennon even yeah but there's this other side they're human and they have qualities that are positive and negative right and uh yeah we're just trying to give the full story so that's part of brigitte's story as well is the negative and the positive right 
I'll, I'll tell you something funny that uh, just to wrap it up on a more positive note, as you were saying earlier, um, Bardot was idolized by the young John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Um, they made plans to shoot a film featuring the Beatles and Bardot, similar to A Hard Day's Night, but the plans were never fulfilled. Like you said, um, Cynthia lightened her hair to more resemble Bardot. Yeah. George Harrison has made comparisons between Bardot and his first wife, Patty. And uh, yeah. Oh, man. I can totally picture John and them just like, get her in the film, man. We got to meet her. <laughs> Brigitte. Uh. Lennon and Bardot met once in person in 1968 the May- at the Mayfair Hotel, um, introduced by Beatles press agent Derek Taylor. A nervous John Lennon had taken LSD before arriving, and apparently neither star had impressed the other. Hmm. Lennon recalled in a memoir, I was on acid and she was on her way out. Hmm. Um, Bob Dylan has dedicated his first song he ever wrote to Bardot. He also mentioned her by name in I Shall Be Free. Wow. Yeah. The first ever official exhibition spotlighting Bardot's influence and legacy opened in boulogne billancourt on 29th of September 2009, a day after her 75th birthday. Yeah, she's still alive and kicking. Um, yeah, the Australian pop group Bardot was named after her. And Kristen Cavallari has a dog named Bardot, which I can only assume is also named after BB. Who's that? Kristen Cavallari? Yeah, I don't know that. She's like my hair inspiration. Oh. She, I am a fan of Kristen Cavallari, and I don't care who knows it. She was originally on Laguna Beach, and then oh, she was on The Hills. okay. And now she has her own television show called Very Cavallari, and it's her and her husband in Nashville. And she has this store, and it's jewelry and home goods. And I think she's just beautiful, and she's kind of amused to me in a way she's like a reality yeah she's a reality star cool and i love her hair and i love her vibe and i really like her husband well good for her then that's right and that my friend is the story of brigitte bardot initials b b well thank you for that i learned a lot um it's it is interesting when you know you just admire someone for their beauty and uh you know getting to hear their life story and the ups and the downs and that's important you know do you believe in well i think we've talked about this before and it's like when someone who was originally gorgeous beautiful amuse all that ages and then it kind of catches up with them. Some of their oh, yeah. not so positive internal things catch up with them because we can look at certain women in their 70s and 80s and go, wow, she yeah. is aged. And not even necessarily that she looks young because they, no, they don't have it's to like look they have young an energy. to remain they have a beautiful. Light. Absolutely. But I feel like, do you think, you know, Brigitte hasn't quite... I definitely feel like... Aged. Yeah, maybe the outside and the inside with certain, you know, comments and stuff are, are matching a little bit more. Yeah. Because it is shocking when you... I don't know why we just assume, you know, because she was young and beautiful that, like inside she's a positive and happy right but like you do she looks radiant and you you expect 
you know, positivity out of that. But uh, no, that's not always the case. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Not just a thought. Yeah. Just it's amusing. A, it's interesting. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you want more, you know where to go. www.musespod.com is our website. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash muses podcast for all extra bonus content. Follow us on Instagram at muses podcast. Leave us a review yeah. on iTunes. We could use a couple more of those lately. Yeah. And we hope you're also checking out all the other podcasts on the Pantheon network. That's right. Yeah. We are a proud part of the Pantheon network. Yeah, we are. All right, everybody. See you next time. <laughs> Looking for ways to help right the wrongs of social injustice? Oxfam America works with people in more than 90 countries to save lives, develop long-term solutions to poverty, and campaign for social change. And we do it with the help of our friends in the music world. The Beatles were Oxfam supporters back in the day. So were the Stones. And through the years, musicians and music fans have helped Oxfam push hard to work for a just world without poverty. Folks like Radiohead, Coldplay, Pearl Jam, DJ Shadow, and many, many more have encouraged their fans to join the effort. You can too. Go to OxfamAmerica.org to learn how you can help. Muses and Stuff is produced by Chantal Lemieux and Link Solo. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. Hey there, Martin Popoff here telling you about a new podcast that I'm doing called History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. This is available on the Pantheon Podcasting Network uh, and anywhere that you uh, happen to get your podcast. Generally, the idea is it's going to be short, quick, sweet. It's going to be informative. We're basically going to pick five songs, going to play clips from those five songs, and they're going to create a narrative around a theme I've come up with, uh, you know, usually based around hard rock and heavy metal topics. As many of you know, I'm uh, that's kind of my uh, area of expertise. I've written 80 plus books on hard rock, heavy metal, old man heavy metal, new heavy metal, 1980s, 70s, a little bit of prog, a little bit of punk. That'll come into it a little bit later. Um, but yes, I'm, uh, I'm definitely pleased as punch to be involved with the Pantheon Podcasting Network and, uh, and doing this show, History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. So join me there. It's going to be a weekly thing. Hope to have you around. Comment, Facebook with me. It's going to be a lot of fun. Talk to you later. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.